As we know, the sto- Torah opens with the story of creation. The book of Genesis opens with the story of Genesis, the beginning. Genesis is Latin for the beginning, the beginning of creation. According to our tradition, it doesn't say so explicitly in the Torah, but according to our oral tradition, creation began on Rosh Hashanah, or more accurately, the Talmud says, Rosh Hashanah was the day that Adam was created. Adam was created on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, and this, in the story, it tells us how in the beginning, Bereshit, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it goes through a story of six days of creation, and how every day God created different things, until finally on the sixth day of creation, God creates all the animals, and then finally he creates Adam, and then later he takes a side of Adam and creates Eve out of that. And with that we have in Hebrew, Adam and Chava, or Adam and Eve, the first people who are placed in the Garden of Eden. And they have their own stories with the Tree of Knowledge, and they're eventually expelled from the Garden of Eden. And that is our story, that is the Torah's story of creation. Not only do we have a story of creation, we also have a date for it. This Rosh Hashanah, Next year is going to be the year 5779. And our tradition is that that means 5,779 years from creation. Now how we got to that number is somewhat complicated. You may recall a couple, maybe about a year ago, we did a class where we explained in detail exactly how we got to that number and many possible variations. That number may be a little off, um, how accurate that number is in our, even in our own traditions. But that's a discussion for itself. But that is our tradition. 5,779 years ago is the beginning of creation. The Talmud interestingly says that Adam was created by God on, it was a Friday, because it was the sixth day of the week, a Friday, on the day of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the Jewish Hebrew month of Tishrei, which would be the day of every Jewish month is a day of a new moon, right? There's always a new moon. So Adam was created on Rosh Hashanah on this day with the new moon, on the new moon, And the Talmud says the moment that Adam was created was the moment of the new moon. And indeed, if you go back 5,779, and the Talmud says Adam was created exactly four hours into the day, four hours after sunrise. And if you go back 5,779 years ago, the new moon appeared, the first moon was visible exactly, well it wasn't, it was daytime, but the moment of the new moon that we could calculate was exactly four hours after sunrise on a Friday. So exactly the moment that we believe Adam was created. Now our belief in creation and in the six days of creation has been copied by other religions that evolved from Judaism. Many of our beliefs and our basic Torah has, um, has become very popular and many non-Jews, billions of them today, believe in the basic beliefs of Judaism, including our account of creation and including our, numer- our chronology or the number of years we believe have passed since creation, though not written in the Torah itself, they have taken those numbers from us. So... Judaism has always had our tradition as to how creation happened and when it happened. Now, there have been many other belief systems that had other beliefs as to when their creation happened. There were many mythologies of many different religions over the years that had their own stories of creation. However, the biggest challenge that Judaism historically faced for our belief in creation is not other creation stories, but our biggest challenge were those who didn't believe in creation at all. Those who challenged the very notion of creation. Now, this challenge went back well over 2,000, some 2,500 years, um, or close, well over 2,000 years, I should say, um, back to Aristotle. Aristotelian philosophy believed that the universe always existed. 
in its current state. It believed that everything existed and this, everything that exists had evolved naturally and everything had always existed. Our world has always been here. There was no beginning time of our universe. That was the um, um, Aristotelian belief and many Greek philosophers um, accepted and adapted that that belief. Many Jews in early um, or in temple times when the Greeks ruled Israel, and many Jews adapted Greek culture, many Jews studied Greek philosophy, and Jews had to contend with this challenge, with this challenge of this um, Aristotelian philosophy, uh, that the world always existed. There was no creation. And indeed, our earliest, our early sources of Talmud and Midrash already deal with this challenge. We had a very good response to this challenge. Our, good resp- our response that we always use to this challenge is told in the Talmud. It says that a min, a heretic, meaning a Jew who did not believe in the Jewish beliefs, believed in presumably our, um, Greek philo- um, philosophical belief that creation did not always exist, came to the great sage Rabbi Akiva and told the great sage... Um, Asked the great sage Rabbi Akiva, how do you know that the world was ever created? Maybe it was always here. Maybe everything evolved naturally. And Rabbi Akiva says, come back tomorrow, I'll have an answer for you. He comes back the next day, and Rabbi, on the Rabbi Akiva's table is a big, beautiful painting. And Rabbi Akiva tells him, this painting, do you know how it got here? Yesterday, you wouldn't believe this, I had this canvas on my, de- on my table, And right after you left, I knocked over the ink. And lo and behold, this big, beautiful painting got here. And the min, this um, heretic, says, impossible. There's no way such a beautiful painting could have been made naturally. So Rabbi Akiva says, well, then how do you expect our world and all of its complexity and all of its beauty? How could it have possibly been created naturally? So our classical response, the classical Jewish response to the challenge that the world has always been here and evolved naturally, that has been around for, as we said, back to Aristotle um, almost 2,500 years ago, has always been, well, our world is way too sophisticated, way too complicated um, to uh, happen by accident, to happen on its own. And so this was essentially the classical ar- um, argument that had been used forever um, for um, our belief that in creation, um, or what's often today called intelligent design. Now, in the 18th and 19th centuries, there was a movement called Enlightenment. And Enlightenment rejected, as part of the Enlightenment movement and liberalism, they rejected a lot of basic religious beliefs. Part of that was because religion was very anti-science at the time. Religion was um, anti-rationalist um, inquiry. And they, um, much of Enlightenment reject and questioned, at least, many religious beliefs. And so many Enlightenment scholars began to also question the Jewish belief that Christians in Europe also believed, the belief in creation, the belief in the age of the world, with time, scientific observations in the 18th and 19th centuries um, showed them that there were many things that appeared to have been around for longer than the date that we give for the beginning of creation. And um, they argued that everything, uh, reason, scientific observation, should be able to explain everything that we had previously turned to religion to explain, um, we can disprove religion or at least offer alternative answers with science and rationalism. Many Enlightenment scholars, especially the more secular ones, not all of them were secular, but many were the more secular ones, many of them adapted um, beliefs similar to Aristotle that the world always existed, that the complexity of our world as we know it evolved gradually over time, although they always had this big challenge um, that Judaism had always placed before the argument um, that we had always been here of how did we get so sophisticated? How did we get all the complexities of our world? How did it come about? 
So in, there were many scientists that worked to try to resolve this question over the years. But most importantly, in 1858, a British scientist called Charles Darwin published a book called The Origin of the Species, where he argued... Sorry? He went to Galapagos. Yes. Um, he actually traveled around the world. Um, where he argued two basic theories to answer the intelligent design challenge. And he came up with two basic theories. Firstly... He came with a theory of evolution, essentially, that biological species evolved gradually over time, and he was able to, from fossil records, he was able to show evidence for it, um, that um, biological species gradually evolved from very simple forms over time to more and more and more complex forms through natural mutation. So, in other words, natural species mutate with... Um, um, biological species mutate with time, and over time they evolve from species to more, from simple form to much more complicated form, creating the existence that we know today. How did they evolve so efficiently? So to resolve that, he came up with a theory called natural selection, which means that... Um, uh, the way evolution advances is through a natural survival of the fittest. In other words, there's only limited resources um, for any specific species in any specific area. And so it was, it would all, the best mutations, the, spe the uh, creatures with the best mutations will always be the one to get the best access to resource and be the strongest and be the ones that will survive. So over time, those species that had mutated with unique advantages, those advantages will end up staying and they will, that species will end up turning into, over time, a new species. So that's the very basic of his theory. Darwin's theories, and there were a number of other sci scientists at the time that also came with similar theories, they spread very, very quickly. With time, the theories um, known often just as evolution or Darwinism was accepted as standard science. And today, Darwinism or evolution has become the basis of all modern biology. It's all built on the basic assumptions of um, Darwin. However, Darwin, Darwinism is also the most challenging scientific theory to religion in general, including Judaism. And predictably, it's created a great backlash um, among religious, uh, religious people, among religious scholars from its very earliest day. While many scientific theories pose all sorts of challenges to different religious beliefs, there is no question that... Um, that Darwinism has been the most controversial or the most challenging um, scientific theory and still remains till today, more than 150 years later, the most challenging the scientific theory to religious beliefs. And because of that, for the last 150 years, there has been constant debate between um, religious scientists or religious scholars and secular scientists or the general scientific community over the merits of Darwinism, over the merits of evolution. Yes, Sandy? I was going to say, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know, when I went to UCLA, um, I went one of my very first classes as a freshman, mm -hmm. was on evolution. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, I didn't know this. And it really, you know, it wasn't good. So now for many decades... For many decades, in the second half of the 19th century and early 20th century, part of the big debate was, given that um, our country, our government, is in the business of educating our children, um, how, what should be considered standard education? What should be considered? The scientific community wanted evolution to be the standard. Um, the religious community wanted creation to be the standard. Some wanted neither. Some wanted both should be taught. What should be taught in schools? Many states had laws over the years, um, which I believe were eventually struck down, requiring the teach teachings of creationism um, in school. Um, and uh, I, think, I believe that's been struck down over time. But there's been this debate for many, many years over what should be taught, what should be standard science, what should be considered the norm. 
And so many religious scholars, many scientists, questioned whether the entire theory, parts of this theory, and I should mention that, this, that parts of Darwin's original theory have without a doubt been disproven. Um, science does not today accept certain parts of Darwin's theory, most notably the fact that species change always very, very gradually. Today there's increasing evidence that a lot of the um, changes, a lot of the major changes happened very abruptly, and we have scientific explanations as to how those happen. But there have been changes within Darwin's theory that have been widely accepted today, um, often called neo-Darwinism or our current understanding of evolution the way we understand it today in our 21st century. So my goal today is not going to be explained to the theory of, not to is not going to be to explain to you the theory of evolution um, that is outside my field. Um, some have suggested that part of the reason why the debate over evolution has been so strong and so powerful is it's one of the few or it's the it's the only major scientific theory that is very easy to understand. Every other major scientific theory um, is extremely difficult, such as um, relativity or quantum um, mechanics or many other major theories are very difficult to understand. This one's fairly easy, but I'm not going to delve into um, evolution at all. I also have no intention, since I'm not a biologist and I have no expertise in that field, I have no intention in discussing the merits of the theory or the scientific challenges to the theory um, and uh, discussing it from a scientific perspective at all. That would be outside of my field. I don't intend to present it from a scientific perspective. Um, I encourage you all to study as we should always study, but study from somebody who has expertise in the field. I'm going to... um, focus today about on Judaism, which is my field and my expertise, and how, how Judaism responds to the theory of evolution and the challenges that it poses to Judaism. Now, part of the challenge when debates get heated, and they have when it came to evolution, and get personal, and they have when it came to evolution, it's one of the most hotly debated issues in our country still today, for 150 years still today. Um, the gener- uh, historically, most Americans have not believed, do not believe in evolution. Um, just last year or two years ago, Pew came out with a study. For the first time, 51% of Americans believe in evolution. But it's only 51% that believe in evolution. So this is, remains a very, very, although in the scientific community it's considered settled science, um, in among the populace among the, our people in this country, um, half the country, it's split. Half of us believe in it. Half of us don't believe in evolution. That means so, the undocumented people. <laughs> I don't know their mythology of their service. I don't know. But so there are. So the, it's be, it, so part of what happens. In any great, in any great debate, any great, and this has really become, please, please, this has really become a great cultural debate, and it's lasted 150 years. And as in any great debate, what often happens is there becomes a lot of confusion over the specific issues being debated. Often it's complicated. There's many different issues being debated. And so what I'd like to do is just sort out the specific issues and then try to address them one by one. So I'm going to split the challenges that evolution poses to Judaism, to Jewish beliefs, into three different parts. We're going to firstly deal with technical discrepancies between the theory of evolution and Jewish beliefs. Then we'll look at philosophical differences. And then we'll look at the moral differences. So hopefully this will provide us a little clarity Technical discrepancies, philosophical differences, and moral differences. The most obvious challenges that evolution poses to Judaism are also the easiest, the most commonly noted. They're also the easiest to resolve. And that's the difference in the storyline between history, the way evolution tells our history today, and the way science believes our history today, believing that the history of 
um, the history of of the species, this history of life, is a three and a half billion year history, and how everything evolved gradually over the past three and a half billion years, and that is very different than the Jewish story of creation, which tells us that everything is 5,779 years old, and everything was created in six days. The two stories are not aligned at all, do not match up. Um, We found fossils that appear to show the age of earlier of earlier creatures we found earlier creatures that are now extinct so there is a lot of evidence that we found for earlier things and i should point out that this historical discrepancy is not only true for evolution for the theory of evolution but also almost all or all current theories of natural history of all forms such as the theory of how our universe was formed and the theory of how our earth was formed and how our solar system and all the different theories of natural history all do not all contradict the Jewish story of creation. All those theories contradict the story of creation, right? That's, there's no question about that. And so this is perhaps the most obvious challenge. The two stories are not aligned at all. So this challenge, although very obvious, very clear, is actually the easiest of all the challenges that evolution poses. This is the easiest challenge to resolve. Because we have one of two possible options. We could take one of two approaches to this challenge. Assuming that we want to, um, assuming they want to accept at least the arguments of evolution and assuming that we want to accept the... um, and assuming that we want to, we, we're, Jewish, we're believers in Judaism and we want to accept Jewish beliefs. So we have two possible approaches. Either we could say, well, evolution is true as is and our Jewish beliefs need a little adjustment to match. Or we could say Judaism is true as is and our uh, understanding of evolution needs a little adjustment to, to, to fit. Two possible approaches and both approaches can work. And I'm not going to suggest what, which approach you shall take, one or the other, but both approaches have been taken in the last 150 years, time and again, and both approaches in theory can work. Let's begin with the first suggestion, that Darwinism, or the current understanding of the evolution of the species is true, and we have to adjust our Jewish beliefs. Does that pose a great challenge to Judaism? Not really, because Judaism has many beliefs that we consider core beliefs, or in Hebrew, ikrei emunah, core beliefs of Judaism. If you don't believe in the core beliefs of Judaism, you don't believe in Judaism. You may believe in something else, but Judaism, the religion is defined by certain core beliefs. Maimonides, who was perhaps our greatest um, codifier, he enumerated 13 core beliefs in Judaism. For example, you have to believe in God. You don't believe that God exists, by definition you don't have Judaism. You also have to believe that God gave us the Torah. If you don't believe that God gave us instructions, there's no Judaism. So there's certain core beliefs that you have to believe without which we don't believe in Judaism. Among those core beliefs is that the Torah as we have it is true and the will of God. If you don't believe the Torah to be true and the will of God, then you don't have Judaism. That's a core belief in Judaism. However, how to interpret specific parts of the Torah or whether specific stories in the Torah should be taken at face value or perhaps interpreted differently is not necessarily a core belief in Judaism. So, one can argue, and many have, starting with a um, German rabbi called Rabbi Israel Lipschitz, was the first one that put this forth, already in the, um, right right after Darwin came out with his theories of evolution, um, that um, one can reasonably argue that the story of creation in Genesis And for that matter, even the Midrashim, or oral traditions um, about creation, 
perhaps are not meant to be taken literally at face value, that God created each thing exactly in a 24-hour day as we know it, but perhaps it actually is meant to be telling us the story of evolution and a story that took a very, very long time to create. And that's the story that they're telling us in Genesis. And indeed, many attempts have been made, and there's a number of, um, there's many books you can get today from Jewish sources, from other sources, that actually go through the story of creation, often bringing in Midrashim, and showing how they um, actually fit very well with our current scientific theories, going even further to the stories of um, the early creation, of the early development of our universe, and um, the, the history of our universe and showing how that also fits with the stories in Genesis. And interestingly, just one quick point, in Genesis, we tell the story of first everything being created, um, non-life, and then only on the fifth day, life is created, starting with the sea creatures, the birds and the insects, and then only afterwards on the sixth day are mammals, and then finally people being, are created um, very much in line with the history of evolution as well, where first birds, reptiles, um, insects are created, fish, and only afterwards mammals and humans come later. So, um, so, so and this has been a very common um, explanation. Many have taken this explanation. And it's a fair response. Um, it's a fair response. And it does not contradict any of the basic beliefs in Judaism. You can be a fully believing Jew and accept the story, the history, at least. We'll see it soon, other challenges. But you can accept the historical tale of the evolution of the species, as well as other historical tales of natural history, and still be a fully believing Jew. And the two are not necessarily contradictory. So that's one possible approach we can take. There is another possible approach we can take. And that is, we can take the story of Genesis at face value, exactly as told in the story of Genesis, and take the age of our universe at face value, exactly as told in the story of Genesis, 5,779 years. How then do we have species that clearly show that they evolved one from another? And in fact, we have, and we have appendixes and we have remnants of tails that show that our ancestors once had tails, and other animals have remnants that show they once came from something else. And so there's, and we have fossils that show that there were things that existed a long time ago. And we have many, and we, um, and we, we see our universe expanding, moving beyond evolution, showing that it all started somewhere. And so clearly our universe shows a three and a half billion year history of of um, life and a five plus billion year of history of um, of our universe. So, if there's such a big, such a long history, how can there only be five thousand seven hundred and seventy nine years? So, in our story of creation, when we tell how Adam and Eve were created, Adam and Eve, in the story of Genesis, were both created as adults. The day they were created, if you were to meet Adam and Eve on day one when they were created, you would meet two adults and you would ask them, how old are you? And they look like they're adults. adults. We don't know how old they looked like when they were created. Maybe they looked like they were 30 years old. Right? Let's see. Right? They, they were adults. They weren't children. They were created as adults. Millennials, yes. And so from the first millennial, Right? So, so they were created as adults. So you would ask them, how old are you? I'm one day old. But you don't look one day old. You look like you're 30 years old. Right, God created me, so I look 30 years old. He created me 30 years into my life. I'm already a 30-year-old. But He created me. God can create you at any point, in any form, in any fashion. So He created them at exactly that point. Take it a step further. Trees 
the trees that God created were created, the Torah says, in the story of Genesis, the cre- trees were created, fully grown trees, flowers, and fruit on the trees, fully grown trees. Now let's say Adam would take a grab an axe and chop down one of those trees. These are fully grown adult trees. Now as we know that every tree, you cut it down, you'll see rings, and those rings will each show the how old that every year the tree grows another ring. You count the rings, you know how old the tree is. So you cut down an adult tree that God created, um, those big... Um, those big um, sycamore trees or the big, some, the big um, sequoia, sorry, sequoia trees. Um, you cut down one of those big sequoia trees and you see it has a thousand rings in it. The tree is a thousand years old. But God just created the tree yesterday. He created the tree with a thousand rings in it. In other words, what happens is if you believe in a story of creation where God creates a fully formed world, God did not have to create that world at step one, as a baby world. We, the story of Genesis tells us that God created an adult, fully developed world. An adult, fully developed world has a history. God created a world with a long history. God created the world with a five billion year history, creating it at a certain point. Now, if you believe that God created the world as is with a history, that, his, that moment of creation could have happened at any point. So in other words, it can be true that our world is 5,779 years old, and at the same time be true that our world is 5 billion years old. Why? Because our world has a prehistoric history or a pre-creation history that never actually happened but it was created with that history of five billion years, but the actual moment of creation would have been 5,779 years ago next Sunday. Yes? Then with the theory of relativity, too, you, you know that every time amount is the same, so that would explain that as well, giving an additional credence that... There could be, that would be more the first answer, where... Maybe time was not what then was not what we think it is today. Right. So we have these two possible approaches. Both are reasonable. I'll let you choose which way, which way you want to go. You don't need to necessarily choose one over the other. Um, where it is either possible to believe fully in Judaism and know that the history as described in the Torah is not one of the fundamentals in Judaism and it can be explained, whether through days being longer time not tr- uh, moving at different pace, whatever it is, it can be explained and it has been explained to fit the story of evolution. Or one can believe that God created an adult world as described in Genesis and that adult world clearly was given a history when God created it and it could have been created at any point in that history including 5,779 years ago. I don't know if they had a memory, but I don't know if the humans created Adam and Eve had a memory, but clearly the trees had a memory and their cells in their body had a memory. So I don't know if it was a conscious memory, but clearly as described in the Torah, if they're created as adults, they have a history, right? Every cell has a history and tells you the story from when you were born, from when you were first created, every cell in your body. Their cells had histories also. God created us with a history. Yes, Mark. So the week that Adam was, was created, going back in, in the history that God created, the dinosaurs had already lived in this period. Possibly. Because they'd be Possibly. They, they don't know if they're warm-blooded or cold-blooded. So. Right. Now, why would God create fossils? I don't know. We ultimately don't understand why God created most of what he created. Why he would create that kind of history. Maybe God, for the oil business, maybe God... Thank you. From, that's from the oil man. Um, maybe, maybe God wanted us to find the theory of evolution because it's brought us a lot of good. It's helped us understand biology and helped us um, save lives through all the medicine that we've developed over time. So um, it, it's definitely helped us. Um, the theory of evolution can be a true theory that really 
kind of our world was built on, even if our world was built much later in history and given that history. So we have two, yes? So, so people were created with a history, but we don't remember the history going back. Pre-Adam. Pre Correct. Would have been created with history. Correct. Correct. There's no tale of civilization that goes past 5,000 years. So far. That we've found, yes. The Chinese, how old is the Chinese calendar? It's about 2,000 years. It doesn't go past 5,000 years. So that is, so to deal with the basic contradiction in the storyline between evolution and Judaism, we have two possible approaches. We can either adjust Judaism to fit with evolution, adjust evolution to fit with Judaism. Both are fairly reasonable. You could take whichever one you want. That's a very easy problem to resolve. There are much bigger problems, though, that need to be resolved, and evolution poses much greater challenges to our Jewish belief. And often it's the confusion between the different challenges that often um, create a lot of the uh, misunderstandings. But the historical, we could deal with. But there's a philosophical challenge. The philosophical challenge that Darwinism poses to Jewish beliefs is much, much more important, a much greater challenge. The basic belief of evolution and the basic belief of natural selection negates any intelligent design. In other words, the basic belief of evolution is a belief that everything happened on its own. It's a belief in determinism. In other words, scientists in the 19th century believed that everything happens randomly, everything is predictable, everything happens totally on its own. There is no greater force or outside force that is directing or at any point directed our world. So the very basic underlying philosophy of, and this was the most crucial point of Darwinism, uh, the basic underlying philosophy of it is that everything in this world was was developed and evolved in a random, natural way. There was no greater outside force whatsoever that had any input. It happens totally on its own, and we've come up with a way to explain how it can happen totally on its own. Now, that philosophical belief, now that can't be proven. That was only... We offered a theory as to how that could have happened. But that, that philosophical belief goes and contradicts a core belief in Judaism. One of the fundamental beliefs, if not the number one belief in Judaism, is the belief in God as the creator of our universe. We believe that God created our world. The only reason why we should ever listen to him which is what Judaism is about, right? Listening to God, uh, building a relationship with God, is because he's our creator. That is the core, most fundamental belief in Judaism, that God is the creator of our universe. There is no question that belief in God's existence and belief in God as the creator of our world and the one who controlled, controls and designs our world and continues to have control of our world is fundamental to Judaism. Not only do we believe he controlled our world, God continues to have control of our world. And that's why we pray to God. We ask God for things. Um, we follow God's commandments, expecting um, because we build a relationship with God, that belief in God's existence, God as a creator, God as being involved or having control of our world, are all fundamentals in Jewish faith. While one can be a fully believing Jew and believe that the world is older than 5,779 years old, one cannot be a believing Jew or one cannot be, um, hold Jewish beliefs and not believe in God. One cannot have Jewish beliefs and not believe in God as the creator. So clearly the basic philosophical 
belief of evolution contradicts the most basic philosophical belief of Judaism. And that was the greatest, this was the greatest challenge, or we'll soon see a greater one, but this was the greatest challenge that Darwinism posed to our Jewish beliefs. So we categorically, as believing Jews, um, or Judaism categorically rejects that belief and continues to believe in God as the creator of our world, whether through a very long gradual process of evolution created our world, or whether abruptly, 5,779 years ago, whichever way it would be, we would have to, to believe in Judaism, we would have to continue believing that God created our world and controls it. We are not random. We did not get here randomly. Um, Our world, we believe that our world is not random. So now this philosophical belief that God created our world does not contradict any of the actual theories of evolution. It doesn't contradict the theory that the species evolved gradually because God could have created us in a way that we evolved gradually. It doesn't even contradict the theory of natural selection because we believe that God runs our world in a very organized, structured manner called nature. And um, that nature can include the selection or the survival of the fittest or the selection of certain species, certain better mutations over other mutations. So we don't question, so that doesn't, the belief in God as the creator does not contradict the actual theories of evolution. And many of those theories we know have been empirically proven. Many of the theories have been proven, whether through history, through fossil finds, or the theories of how, um, how, um, how life evolves, how, of genetic mutations, the theories of natural selection, many of them have been proven. And the belief that there's a creator does not contradict any of those theories. What it does contradict is the basic philosophical belief behind Darwinism. So we can accept, as a Jew, all the beliefs, or Judaism can accept the beliefs of Darwinism, can accept the beliefs of evolution and natural selection, um, and resolve the historical contradictions in the ways we mentioned before. But we cannot accept the underlying philosophy, which is that everything had to happen randomly and there is no creator, because we as Jews do believe, or Judaism does believe in a creator and a creator that created, designed, and controls our universe. Yes, Sandy? So I, I just, you know, where does it fit in that um, something cannot be created randomly? Because it's not We don't create from nothing. Right. So therefore, the God has to be the creator. Right. So one can argue that. One can argue that that evolution only starts from a point, but you still need God to get to that point. And that's something that's extensively argued um, still today. Yes? How do we know what the length of a year was before the creation of Right, so that goes back to our other answer before, that we have one of the two options. We can suggest that we can adjust the story of creation to fit with evolution. That was one of the two options to deal with the historical contradiction. But remember, the historical contradiction is manageable. The real concern is the philosophical difference. Now what then, so Darwinism did not actually prove that there's no creator. What Darwinism did is it offered an it offered an answer the underlying philosophical theory um, uh, sorry the underlying philosophy behind Darwinism contradicts the basic belief of Judaism the belief in a creator but Darwinism itself did not contradict any basic Jewish belief what it did is it answered or it result it it. It, it removed, or claims to have removed, our strongest proof for creator. We had always argued from the earliest times, it's mentioned as we told the story before of Rabbi Akiva, and it is already alluded, mentioned in scripture, we have always argued that the greatest proof for God is the complexity of creation. Given creation's complexity, there's no way that it could have come on its own. What Darwin did was not disprove God, he 
offered the first reasonable response to the intelligent design argument. That's what he did. So the underlying philosophy behind it contradicts Judaism. He didn't disprove the Jewish belief in creator. What he did do is he offered the first reasonable response to the argument of intelligent design. Now, many creationists, many people who believed in creation, both in Darwin's days itself and since the days of Darwin, have counter-argued that the basic argument for intelligent design, that our world is too complex for um, our, our world is too complex to have evolved naturally, still stands. That argument has not been removed with Darwin's theory, either, as Sandy just pointed out, beca- both because it has to have started somewhere. How did you get the first step? Something from nothing. And more, more importantly, um, there have been many holes in the, Dar- in the Darwinian theory. There, have been, there are and still are many holes in the theory of evolution. And Darwin himself admitted that his theory doesn't solve everything. There are still holes, as there are in almost all scientific theories. And so they argue, given the major holes in evolution, you still require intelligent design. Now, this question as to whether this has been probably the biggest um, issue that's been argued back and forth as to whether evolution offers a reasonable response to the intelligent design argument, despite the holes that may still remain, or given that there are certain holes in the theory, it does not offer an adequate response to the intelligent design argument proving God. And that has been the biggest debate over the theory of evolution. Regardless, it's important to just to summarize that with regard to the historical differences, we can resolve that fairly easily. With regard to the underlying philosophical difference, Darwin did not believe in a creator. Judaism does believe in a creator. Regarding that basic philosophical difference, evolution does not disprove the creator. All it does is offer a response to the, what was the strongest argument for the creator. And what we've been debating for the last 150 years is, is evolution's answer to the intelligent design argument, is it a reasonable answer, is it a good answer, or is it not a good answer? And that's what's being debated. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not going to resolve that for you. Regardless, there's no question that Judaism does believe in a creator. Well, apes, not monkeys. So, that's bad science. Sorry? That's bad science. That's bad science. Okay. So most concerning, the most concerning thing is, so we have the, again, we have the, the, the technical um, differences, the historical differences, easily resolve, easily, easily manageable. We have the, the philosophical difference, which clearly Judaism does not believe in the underlying philosophy of Darwinism. Um, Darwinism doesn't disprove the Jewish belief in creator, although it possibly offers the strongest response to the strongest Jewish argument for the creator. And that's something that's been debated for a very long time. But most concerning about Darwinism is, the, and most from a Jewish perspective, are the moral implications of Darwinism. I think this is what Sandy was getting to. Judaism believed, believes everything was created by the creator for a purpose. Every creation, everything that exists is created by the creator for a purpose. We may not be able to easily identify that purpose, but everything was created by a purpose. Most importantly, every person was created by, for, a pur- by, uh, for a purpose. Secondly, Judaism believes that humans were created distinctly by God and stand as the crown of creation. 
Humans hold a special place in creation. Humans have special souls given by God, are created in the image of God, giving every, making every life infinite. Making, as the Talmud says, one who destroys a life destroys an entire world. Darwinism rejects both of those beliefs. In other words, the moral implications of the theory of evolution suggests that firstly, everything is random. If everything is random, everything happens by chance. There is no purpose or meaning behind everything. Why is it there? It randomly appeared. Not because anyone put it there or anyone wanted it to be there. Everything is just random. And also, secondly, people are just sophisticated animals. There is nothing unique about people. People are sophisticated forms of apes or sophisticated animals. In fact, one of the big drives of Darwin's theory, of Charles Darwin himself to develop his theory was after visiting Brazil and visiting native tribes and he saw how primitive humans can be, he figured that humans must at some point, uh, he saw humans that he considered no different than animals. So the moral, these moral implications are perhaps the greatest concern with Darwinism. Darwinism led to some very bad um, theories that it didn't have to lead to, but it did. This is the history. It firstly led to um, racial theories, the theory that among people, people, natural selection, some humans have kind of created, some races have um, been developed in a better, through natural selection, and are better than other particular races. Um, it led to a movement that was once very big in this country called eugenics, um, which believe that we humans are um, destroying through our um, compassion for the, um, for, through our compassion for those in need, we are destroying the natural selection. And um, therefore, it's important to make sure that those who are of bad genes don't have more children and don't destroy our gene pool. And we had a system of forced sterilization um, in many, many states in this country in the early 20th century. Uh, and eventually, that theory also led to, with the racial theories, led to the theories of Nazism. In other words, the theories that there are certain inferior races. Uh, the Nazis believed that we were one of those. And um, those inferior races, should be, some should be subjugated, and others that were very inferior um, should be destroyed. And um, that led to genocide. That led to the Holocaust. That led to racism. Absolutely, absolutely. Racism didn't historically really exist much before um, these theories developed. Correct. So now. Correct. 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 So Darwinism led to some horrible conclusions. Now, one can argue religion has also, in history, led to the horrible conclusions. Um, and there's no question that one can be a full believer in evolution and not be a racist or a Nazi. It does not have to lead there, but it did. Um, that's where the extreme led. But it, bega it begins with these important moral differences. Darwinism believes that everything is by chance. If everything is by chance, by definition, and there is no creator, there is no meaning or purpose to life, there is no meaning or purpose to our very existence. How did I get here? Through natural mutation, um, natural selection. That's, how, that's why I'm here. Happened to be here. I have no unique purpose, no reason I'm here. No, nothing I'm supposed to be doing. No unique responsibilities. It really gives you no morals or values. Um, essentially, if humans are just sophisticated... Uh, so uh, essentially, there are by definition no morals or values. One can argue for that there are um, civilization um, compacts, there are um, contracts, there are 
to be civilized, we need to help each other or we won't be able to develop civilization. But still, there are no essential morals. And, at our, and ultimately, we're not responsible to anyone or for anyone. And we're not here for any purpose. Now, we morally... We Jews who believe in God and believe in creation and believe we're here for a purpose have a big issue with that perspective on life. The second belief is also a great challenge. Darwinism believes that humans are just sophisticated animals. If humans are just sophisticated animals, there is no unique value to human life. Now, you can believe, but be an evolutionist and believe that as humans, just as some other animals don't destroy their own species, we humans, in order for us to survive, have to be careful not to destroy our own species. And you can be a very, very pro-life and um, be an evolutionist without a doubt. But at its very core, um, believing that humans are simply sophisticated animals takes away the unique value of human life and the unique responsibilities that humans have. Those beliefs, right, led to a lot of horrible results and could lead to a lot of horrible results. But ultimately, those beliefs go against our core moral Jewish beliefs. That firstly, God is in control of everything. Everything has a purpose. Nothing is better than anything else. Every one of us were created with purpose. Every one of, here, every one of us was placed here by God for a reason. We have a responsibility. We're here for a reason. And secondly, we believe in the extreme value of human life. We believe that humans are the crown of creation. And every human life is infinite. As the Talmud says, destroy one life, you destroy an entire world. Human life is not utilitarian. doesn't matter how much you get out of it. No one human life is not worth any less than 10 human lives. The life of an old person is not worth any less than the life of a baby. The life of somebody with severe challenges is not worth any less than the life of a astrophysicist. Um, we don't believe that one, every human life is of infinite value. So to conclude, we have, we have three, different, three differences, or we divide our differences into three. We have the technical discrepancies or the historical discrepancies, and those are easily resolvable. Either we can adjust Judaism to fit with evolution or adjust evolution to fit with Judaism. Both are fine uh, or reasonable. We have um, our underlying philosophical difference. That is very important. Juda Judaism strongly, uh, Judaism at its very core disagrees with the underlying philosophical um, <coughs> belief of Darwinism or of evolution that there is no creator. We do believe in a creator. And perhaps most concerning is the moral differences. While Darwinism suggests that everything is random, um, nothing has value, no people have value, and there's no unique distinctive value of human life over other animals, we in Judaism believe both that humans are, uh, that everything is with purpose, everything is with, has meaning, everything has uh, every person has a mission and purpose, and also there's a unique value to human life. I'm just going to finish off, and I'll take the questions at the end. So, so while so there are clearly some contradictions between Judaism and evolution, there are certain things, including the philosophy and the moral differences, that Judaism does not accept evolution at all in its ba at its at its basic scientific arguments there's no reason why Judaism should not agree with evolution and we can adjust one of the two to fit into the other and still accept the basic um, the, the the basic um, beliefs of evolution or the basic theories of evolution which stand today at the core of all of modern biology and so there's no reason not to accept it while also accepting the beliefs of Judaism we also believe in Judaism that everything has something good to teach us. Everything. Everything we see, we, everything we can learn a lesson from, everything has something good to teach us. Darwin also taught us something good. We have something good we can take out of Darwin's theories. Um, and that is the basic theory of um, evolution, natural selection. Um, perhaps Darwin's, um, what Darwin um, came, posited for um, the development of the species is that we started as a very, very 
in a very basic form. And over time, species and animals and eventually humans improve. We get better and better and better with time. Today, the term for that is progress, right? We're constantly progressing. We're constantly better and better with time. We Jews believe that too. Before Judaism came to the world, before Judaism came to the world, most previous peoples had calendars, had perhaps cycles of time, but they believed in time as running in a cycle. It went in a circle. You had a calendar, a year, and essentially went in a circle. They saw life in a circle. You're born and you die. They didn't see life as a history, which is why most peoples didn't really keep long accounts of history. We, however, saw life as a history. The Torah tells us you started, this is the starting point. We started at Sinai as our people, and we have a history. And our, this week's parsha tells us about how a time will come when you will be exiled from your land, then you come back to your land, and eventually you will come back to an end of times. And we Jews believe kind of in an end of it all, and we believe that we're heading towards a greater and better world. So we believe that the world is not, history is not circular, but history is linear. In other words, it constantly moves and constantly progresses. And so the basic belief um, that Darwin developed, that our world is constantly progressing, constantly getting better, constantly improving, doesn't always seem like that because we take one step back and two step forward, steps forward. And sometimes we're in the middle of our step back. But overall, our world is constantly progressing and we Jews do believe that and in a sense we believe that even more um, in an even stronger way many today and throughout history there have always been prophets of doom that have been um, prophesizing that doom would come this is we know this is going back thousands of years there have always been there remains today many many prophets of doom that tell us that it's just a matter of days weeks months years decades until we will all blow up and we will all be destroyed and we believe that we are progressing. We are moving. Yes, there are some challenges, but we are moving forward. We are moving towards progress. So I know I'm a little bit over